Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And it is my goal each week to give you tips and tricks to help you land that job, to make sure that you're aligned in the career that you've chosen so that you can ne- you will never work a day in your life because you love what you do. So I've brought on another expert that's going to help us get reach those goals. And so today on the show, I'd like to welcome Matt Baxter founder and CEO of Wedge HR and published author of The Hiring Knot. We're going to dig into that. Wedge was formed by Matt after he realized from his previous entrepreneurial experience that hiring is, well, it's difficult. With Wedge, his goal is to make recruiting more efficient, to let people share their stories, and to tackle some of the most pressing issues that arise when it comes to finding the right team members. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be here. Oh, man. You know, I, I was a little bummed because originally we planned to do this in person. You were going to come to Dallas. So you're in New York, right? Um, I'm in Michigan. I'm in a quick uh, quick trip to New Orleans, actually, where it's 100 degrees and about 80 degrees humidity. But I live in Michigan, actually. Okay. Okay. I get confused. I talk to people all over the world and I can't always remember where they're from. So, you know, and and we had a great conversation, obviously, which led to, you know, the potential of you being here for a networking event that, you know, I host um, or that I work with on uh, the third Wednesday of every month, Success North Dallas. I know we've talked about it on the show before. We've had our young executives on. Um, It's been really great being able to, you know, support this organization. So I do hope that you'll be able to make it maybe next month or the month after. I would love to make it down and sorry I couldn't be there, but uh, very fired up. So it's all, it's all good stuff. Very cool. Very cool. But you know what? Thank God for this vir- virtual world, right? We just pivoted just a little bit. So um, we became friends in the midst of it. So it worked out. I know. <laughs> well, and that's one of the things that I like to do, how I like to lead each show is to talk about how we got connected. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of networking. And so do you remember how we got connected? So my recollection is the wonderful Berta connected us together. I got connected to Berta probably three or four months ago um, from a gentleman in Detroit named Terry. So one thing led to the next. Terry reaches out to me and says, you got to connect to Berta. Connect with Berta. She said, you got to connect with Casey. And the world just becomes a little bit smaller and smaller. And then you and I hopped on a call. We had a great conversation. You're going to be a guest on my podcast. I'm here. So it's it's just all good stuff. So I got to give a lot of credit to Berta. It's amazing. And, and I love how you just kind of connected the dots there because I think it's so important because it may not be that first connection that you make with somebody, but they may introduce you to somebody who introduces you to somebody who introduces you to somebody who finally you're like, oh, that's why I met that person so long ago, right? It's it's one of those things. I, I It's always sad to me when you go into sort of networking events and people look for like the diamond in the rough right off the get-go, the $100 million contact. It just doesn't happen that way, right? You hear one story and that it's just, it's like you went, you went a huge, you know, 
uh, blackjack at the casino sort of thing. It just doesn't happen that often. But if you actually go into things approaching, hey, if I meet this person, I build a relationship, maybe it's the next person, maybe it's the next person, maybe it's the next person, or you have no idea how you're going to be connected to all these different people and, and where it all comes to be. So I'm a huge fan of just building strong relationships. And if there's business to be done, great. If not, you get to learn, you know, build a new friend, which is an awesome thing. So all good. I love making new friends. I tell people all the time when they introduce people to, I probably even said it to you. I was like, Ooh, new friend. It's like a piece of candy, exactly. you know? Yeah. <laughs> all right, Matt. So tell us about yourself and your experience with the hiring process and your lawn care business, which I believe is kind of what sparked this, this, uh, adventure that you're on right now. When did you realize hiring could be done differently and more efficiently? Yeah. So chubby neighbor kid at 15, uh, started the business and, um, I literally started mowing a few neighbors lawns. And as that business kept growing and growing, I started hiring, um, some folks. My very first employee happened when I was a senior in high school and, uh, I went to college about three hours away. So I was back and forth managing the business over summers and weekends and continuously hired more and more people throughout that. Um, with my lawn care, I didn't really care if somebody knew how to mow a lawn or weed whack. I cared. Can you shake my hand? Can you have a conversation? If you could do those things, I could teach you the rest. And so for me, hiring was much more about cultural fit in today's language versus hard skills. It was much more what soft skills do they possess? And, you know, is that person somebody I could put in front of my customers? Can I teach them something? Are they capable of learning? Or, you know, where, where some roles are just focused around the hard skills. And so I had a chance, very fortunate and really cool opportunity to sell that business when I was 21. Um, was an awesome experience. Learned a, not, a lot. Definitely not a um, huge tech exit by any means, but it was a really cool experience. And so that transition, uh, I had the idea basically transitioning out of the lawn care company was I didn't really care if somebody knew how to mow a lawn or weed whack. I cared, like I mentioned, the soft skills. And then on the flip side, I'm a junior in college when I sold the business. All my friends are talking about the same thing. Like resumes suck. I, I don't know how to present uh, who I am as a person. I don't have the three to five years experience um, that this job is requiring. And so it felt like there was this major gap. And so the idea for Wedge originated from can we allow for companies to have a deeper understanding into who people are in the early stages of the hiring process? And can we allow for candidates to have an opportunity to shine above and beyond, um, you know, just a single sheet of paper, like a resume and cover letter. So that was sort of the adolescent idea for where wedges uh, basically started to, to what it is today. Okay. So we'll tell us a little bit more about wedge and what do you, what you expect others will gain from utilizing it. Yeah. So wedge at the core foundation is a candidate flow management. So basically if you're struggling to find candidates, we can help from a programmatic and job ad, sort of that top of the funnel. Let's drive candidates into your pipeline. And for companies that have a funnel of candidates or have applicants, we can help with video screening, move them through the process really quickly and effectively. And then obviously for companies that need help with both, that's where we come into play. The core business started as a video interviewing product. And then obviously we've stepped into the talent attraction world as well too. So we, uh, it's it's been awesome. We help everything from Chick-fil-A franchises to manufacturing to trucking companies to hospitality to healthcare. It's been a wild ride and naturally you go from lawn care to HR tech as most people do in their career. Um, and uh, it's been, been quite the learning curve. It's been awesome. I almost missed that. You just threw that down just so. I was, say, it was, it was like, maybe I didn't land that one that well. <laughs> I was like, but that's not normal. And you said it yeah. like it was so normal. We need to tell this guy this is not normal. Right? That is so cool. So it sounds like what you've developed is a CRM, so to speak, which and I use a CRM. So what makes yours different? Why would I want to use yours over one of the other ones? Yeah. So 
we, so in our, like we, we end up partnering with a lot of applicant tracking systems or CRM, basically interchangeable. So we're not necessarily a company that's going to come in and we're going to basically track your candidate all the way through the process. We're more going to integrate with those tools and be a partner to that. So let's say you have your candidate flow or, your, or let's say you have your applicant tracking system that you're using, right? We're going to partner with them because we're going to be a certain stage of the hiring process. With video, we might be right when the candidate applies, scan a QR code, first name, last name, email, answer two questions by video, and that's the application. High volume rules, that's where we're going to help them play. Whereas we might help with a little bit, let's say, um, a little bit more educated roles, you know, white collar type jobs. That's where we're going to come in as a typically a video uh, or excuse me, a phone screen replacement tool. And that would integrate with an ATS or integrate with a CRM as a part of the workflow. A lot of them don't have built in video where that's where we come in and we partner with them, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I just, as you were saying that, saw my life getting so much easier, you know, <laughs> because there's so many times and you never want to be rude, right? But there are a couple of questions that you can ask on the front end and you know right away that that person's not a fit for the role you're working on, but you don't want to be rude, you know? And so you continue the conversation, but if you could ask those questions before the call so that yep. you never had to initiate that call, that would be such a time saver, I think, as a recruiter. Sure. And not, not to mention, I mean, uh, Casey, I, I have full confidence in your ability to phone screen or have initial chats with folks. But sometimes you have recruiters or hiring managers that don't really understand the needs or the requirements of the job that are still interviewing people. So one cool part of our product, but yet maybe a COO doesn't have time to interview every candidate. We're, mm -hmm. we're, with our product, you can have a candidate go through a, a one-way video interview and you can take and you can share that with other team members. So it allows you to have multiple people's perspective on the role without them necessarily having to sit on every phone screen or necessarily have to sit on every Zoom call. So it makes for both, you can weed people out, but also you can share with your internal team and get more people's perspective than typically what the current processes allow you to do. Oh my goodness. You're putting so many ideas in my head because I just thought about one client that it, they're huge and they have multiple departments and they like to, but they do, they have like different, like in their, I do accounting. So, that, you know, they might have property accounting, they have corporate accounting, they have project accounting. They've got all these different accounting groups, right? They've probably got, I would dare say they probably got a hundred people in their accounting department overall. But whenever they hire from me, like if I'm hiring for one group, then they'll like if that group says, oh, this isn't a particular fit, but this is going to be a this could be a fit for this group. Then we have to start the interview process all over again. You know, so I could see where that would be very valuable for them. That's exactly right. You got it spot on. So, yeah. OK, so why is it so important for hiring managers to look beyond the resume to meet hiring needs? You, you mentioned that. Yeah, I, you know, it's one of those things that uh, people throw out stats all the time. I've seen time and time again, it's something to the tune of 80 to 90% of job descriptions include something related to culture, right? So people want to hire for culture and fit and empathy, and they want to lead with empathy, and they want to do all these things, which are fantastic. But yet the very first thing you require is three to five years experience with a PhD with a 4.0 GPA from Stanford, Harvard, and MIT all at once. And so we have this, and I mean this kind of kidding, but if you look at a lot of roles, most people are looking for unicorns and then from an experience standpoint, and then talk about culture and fit as the most important thing. And so for us, what we're trying to get the message across is, look, there are some roles that it's remarkably important to have the right background. If you're a surgeon at Duke, when you're reviewing those candidates, you want to make sure they went to med school, right? You want to make sure they've done surgery or whatever it may be that requires sort of that hard skill. But for a lot of roles, it's okay 
to not necessarily have that person have a whole background in your industry or whatever it may be. And especially for companies that emphasize, we want to hire for culture and fit, yet their process is much more of a hard skill, you know, hard requirements to, or based around qualifications than culture. And so I had a chance to do a little bit of speaking. And one of the topics we cover is what really matters to you? Do you care about culture? Do you care about fit? Or excuse me, do you care about culture and fit? Or do you care about qualifications? And that's something that I like just to ask folks. And it's sometimes people say both. Well, there's there's a reality around the flow of what you're looking for in candidates. Yes, you can hire for both, but what's the most important? Are you looking at hard skills first? If so, you're weeding candidates out that may be a good cultural fit. And that's okay, but just acknowledge that qualifications are more important than culture and fit. And so, you know, one that's one of the things that we talk about is what's what's most important for organizations and just have an honest answer to that. Do you care about culture and fit? Okay, great. There are tools like Wedge, there's others out there that allow you to have a deeper understanding of who that person is. Whereas if you care to hire for qualifications, it's much more, what is that person's background? And they're two very different processes. Is that making sense? It does, and I'm, but I'm curious, I'm gonna challenge you on that just a little bit because a lot of my clients would say, both are equally important qualifications and culture and fit. So, yeah, so then the, the push, the pushback I would have to that is uh, from a qualification standpoint, is there things that if the candidate meets cultural fit that you're willing to sacrifice on your hard requirements? If the answer is no qualifications, more important because qualifications most important. And then the qualified candidates, you want to hire them from a cultural or culture fit standpoint, but the qualifications come first. Whereas let's say I'm hiring for a sales role and I've got one person that's got eight years background and I've got one person with three years background, right? But the three-year background, motivated, hungry, willing to work, whatever it may be. Whereas the eight years stuck in their way, seasoned veteran, right? I may go with the three years because culturally that may be, you know, willing to learn, high energy, whatever it may be. Whereas the eight year would be much more, this fits the mold, background, et cetera. And that's where I would say what matters the most and are you willing to sacrifice is the wrong word, but are you willing to change your standards of qualifications in order to meet a cultural fit candidate? If that, if the answer is you're willing to do that, culture is more important. If the answer is you're not, qualifications are more important as well too. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And I was just thinking about one of my clients that I work with that the qualifications and the culture, that's why I asked that question, are both equally important. Yeah. And But you're right. They do choose based on qualifications first and then, and they have a very long hiring process, they uh, go through a series of assessments and they actually sit down and meet with a psychologist as part of their interview process. Which is, I mean, that's what, what an amazing experience. And, and to, to say, like, those are people that that would be a client that takes culture very seriously, mm -hmm. which is remarkable. But they're only reviewing the cultural fits based upon the qualifications that they met. Yes. Right? Yes. So that's where I, I would, that's where I encourage most companies to say, it's not that you're not making culture important because you are, but they have to have the culture or the qual qualified background in order to reach that stage. Yes, exactly. That, that's very true. That's a very good nuance there. Okay, so I know that many companies employ Wedge's one-way video interviews as a screening technique. So what are the other benefits? We've talked about some, but what are benefits of this one-way as opposed to two-way video? Two things, two major benefits. Time saver, because asynchronous communication saves time. Um, we, if, if you ask me these questions and I recorded them and sent them back, uh, we would maybe make this time more efficient, but obviously the effectiveness of being live, let's have this be, you know, great feedback back and forth. That's what make, that's what makes the show so great. 
So asynchronous communication certainly benefits from a time save. Companies can set up a series of questions, candidates respond to them on their own time, and those responses can be reviewed on the company's own time as well. So you're removing the need for scheduling, you're removing the need to meet up together in person, you're removing all of that, right? So from a timestamp, there's a huge time saver. The other piece is the system of record that you can revert back to. So that's what I mentioned a little bit around being able to share it. So once mm -hmm. a candidate completes a video interview, you have that video, you can revert back, watch, rewatch, rewatch again, or share it with multiple people as well. So not only is it the benefit of seeing somebody on camera, seeing them answer some questions, putting them through some scenarios or whatever you'd like it to be, but it's a time saver as well as a collaboration tool that holds a lot of value. You know, and I just had a thought around that too, how it might also be beneficial in that, you know, a lot of times, and I'm sure you've done this in the hiring process, maybe you had just a little tug in your gut about something that was said in the middle of the interview, but you can't put your finger on it. And if yep. you had that video, you could always go back and rewatch it. And there might be that aha moment where you're like, that's why, you know, that's what my instincts trying or, to tell me. Or Casey, imagine, let's say I was a hiring manager and you're the CEO. I could say, look, something's not sitting right. Or man, I just have a really good feeling about this candidate. I can send that to you and say, fact check me, or you, you give your perspective too. Whereas the problem with modern day phone screening is let's, let's assume the person is perfectly efficient at phone screening. Somebody who phone screens 10 people in a row, probably the last seven, eight, nine are not gonna be as good as the first one, two or three, but let's remove those barriers altogether. You're only as good as the notes that are taken and then passed on to whoever else needs to review mm -hmm. them. Whereas with an asynchronous or one-way video interview, you actually get to go back and rewatch the same exact content and share it with people. And there's no disparity. There's no questions. There's no, it's literally, I'm watching this, you're watching this, it's the same thing. So that's a kind of unintended benefit that we didn't realize. And now, now it's, it's really important. Absolutely. So I have another question. So there's some software out there that does this, but it's actually monitoring your facial expressions and basically giving you a score. Yeah. But does your software do that or is it simply just recording the video? Yeah. So we've stayed away from all machine learning and AI for the reason couplefold. There's, well, not my job to mention it, but it's out there. There's a couple, um, uh, lawsuits out there about the interpretation and sort of false lie detecting happening, right? So most of what facial recognition is doing in this industry is saying, that's Matt on camera, and now I'm going to interpret what Matt's saying and then somehow come back with a lie detection based on voice inflections and all those different things. What they found, sometimes the science did work, but sometimes they also found that they were calling more false narratives or more false lying than what's mm -hmm. actually true. Give you a prime example. Let's say I was talking about a sales geek that I did back in 2006, right? And um, something related to on a Tuesday, I started telling the story. Well, that might've been on a Monday. I didn't mean to lie and materially, it wasn't intentional and it didn't really factor the story, but it would flag me as a liar, as a candidate, right? And so the interpretation was getting a little suspect or skeptical. And so we've intentionally shied away from all machine learning, facial recognition in the space and just made it simple, easy on the candidate. Now, some areas that we are getting into is sentiment analysis. And so there's value to be had around sort of uptone talk and downtone talk based upon a role. And we're not providing any recommendations. We're providing simply just, here's the material of what this candidate does. So I get excited often, I'm fired up. I speak in a lot of uptone. So for a sales role that may be appropriate for somebody who may be a funeral home director, that would be inappropriate, right? So it allows you to basically say, this person speaks in uptone and here are some certain roles we see value in. This person maybe speak more in downtone and matter of fact, I might be a little bit err on the side of too optimistic where some folks may err on the side of 
to downtone or negative talk, right? And it's not necessarily saying this candidate's going to work well in this job or that job. It's more just saying, here's some facts and some info. So those are some things that we're stepping into. But from a facial recognition standpoint, it's still pretty murky water and what actually value is being brought and what's fair to the candidate as well, too. Interesting. So, and when you were saying the uptone, downtone, I'm thinking, do you think that has anything to do with whether somebody is um, more, what's the word I'm looking for? Outgoing? Yeah. Or whether they're more introverted? Yeah, there's going to be, there's going to be a little bit of that, what's going to come out. Um, there's going to be uh, do you speak in firm talk, meaning do you arrive to conclusions of answers or is your answer sort of tailing off? There's, again, there's a lot with the sediment world is fascinating. So there's there's a lot to be discovered in that space and there's a lot of work being done in it for sure. I have not heard about this study, this sentiment world. You probably have just sent me down a new rabbit hole because- Yeah, I... go, down, go down the linguistics route and it's really, it's an amazing rabbit hole. It, you'll forget forget about your weekend. You'll You'll be reading about it the whole time. So, okay, so what advice do you have? Let's look at it from the other side. What advice do you have for job seekers who are recording and marketing themselves during one of these one-way interviews? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I, I hate to be that cliche with it, but I would encourage people to be themselves. Go and ask the question. Um, don't be afraid to record it on your, literally, let's talk about recording for a second. iPhones are great. You can do it sideways right on your iPhone, answer, nail it, the whole thing. Be yourself. If you if you get a job, you certainly want to work for a company where you can be authentic with who you are and certainly review the company and make sure that they're saying who they are as well, too. Would strongly encourage just confidence in who you are and, and, and certainly in that standpoint. We allow for companies to choose whether you have retakes or no retakes. So when you think about from a video standpoint, if you have the option to do retakes, there's no far, there's no there's no harm in doing that. Don't be afraid to have confidence in your answers. Don't be afraid to, you know, just be, be true to who you are. We certainly see that time and time again. Um, there's small nuanced things like have a little bit of decent lighting, make sure that sounds off on, you know, your devices or whatever it may be. And there's tons of materials that we have all the time, but you know, for, for candidates that are looking to stand out, we're on zoom all day long. So don't be afraid just to be the authentic version of you and present that. And I would, I would encourage that whether it's on your resume, on a um, cover letter, in your LinkedIn profile, whatever it may be, and especially with video interviewing, um, your story matters and make sure that, story's, that's, that story is heard and told um, because it goes a long way. So that's a little bit of my advice. I love that. And you know, one other thing, and I, I don't know if you've heard of this before, but I've talked about it several times on the podcast, especially when it comes to video interviewing. Um, and But I think it's worth mentioning again, have you heard of the app CRISP, K-R-I-S-P? Do you use it? I do. Absolutely. Uh, me too. So I recommend to all my candidates when I'm coaching them for their interview that they download that app because what it does is it minimizes the extraneous noises around you. Like I have two little yappy dogs at home and if I'm on a Zoom meeting and I'm working from home, I don't want people to hear them when they go start barking, chase off the squirrel. Yep. That's exactly right. That's exactly so. right. And, and the other, the other thing too is don't be afraid to practice questions beforehand. I mean, a lot of the first interview questions are questions that we know, but again, have some fun with it, be yourself. Don't take it too seriously. I ha have an appropriate level of professionalism, but be you. And I think if companies don't accept that, you didn't want to work there anyways. You know, and I think that is probably the best advice you could ever give someone. <laughs> show up to the interview the same as you're going to show up at work. Exactly right. That's awesome. 
Okay, so let's talk about your book for a second that you wrote. So you recently published, uh, I, I believe it was recently published, The Hiring Knot. Ooh, that sounds scary. Could you tell us a little bit about the book and about you know what readers can expect to learn from reading it? Yeah, so it's a quick read, just under 100 pages, came out, I want to say two months ago, um, available on Amazon, the whole works. We donate all the proceeds of the book towards um, female and minority-owned startups in Grand Rapids. Uh, wow. I've, yeah, I, I, I've had the fortunate of had an amazing network and had a lot of people that backed me and supported me. And I know that there are some areas that of folks that don't have that same network. And so if we can play a small part in helping that out. That's something that we try to do. But as far as the content of the book, um, I uh, did what one of the few things that I do well is bring a lot smarter people around me. And so I co-authored the book with our company president, Theo, who's um, was kind of one of the founders of video interviewing back 10, 15 years ago. So him and I co-author the book. I take an outsider's perspective from somebody who doesn't come from the industry. He takes an insider's perspective of somebody who's been in the industry for a long time. And then we brought on some guest chapters, all related to recruiting, the hiring manager, uh, diversity and inclusion, staffing. Um, and so we, we bring in some guest chapters just to kind of bring the whole thing together. And the, the premise is the hiring knot. And really the, the, the storyline and a nautical theme is untangling the hiring knot, because at the end of the day, Candidates are looking to work and companies are looking to hire people, right? And that's what a job is, that connection between those two things. And we believe that we've made that whole thing way more complex than it needs to be. And so the, the content of the book is saying, why don't we take a deep step back? What are we actually trying to do? What are we actually trying to accomplish when it comes to hiring? And so the hiring knot is solving some of those challenges. That is amazing. And I cannot wait to get my copy so that I can read this book. Um, so, all right, from your perspective, what does the future of hiring look like? And, you know, how can we prepare for it? So there's the, there's the reality and then there's the controversy. So the reality is I, I, I do see there's going to be an evolution of gig workers and consultants um, that I think is great, right? Folks that, hey, here's the amount of money that I need to make. I've got the network to go build a little consulting practice and make a great livelihood. And that's fantastic. I think we're going to see that more and more. That's nothing new, but I think we'll see it more and more. I certainly think, you know, I, I live in the startup world. So you get things like Uber and Airbnb reference all the time. What I think people miss is the economy that those companies created. They talk about the disruption, but I think what's actually cooler is you now could be a full-time Uber driver. And there are mm -hmm. thousands, hundreds of thousands of those. They created a whole new economy. Right. And so I certainly see that there's going to be more companies and niches that are going to pop up and create those things. But one of the things that I, I find to be uh, fascinating to me is the major companies, you name them, that we all follow, that right when COVID kicked in or six months in, whatever, people are never going to go back to work. We're fully remote, et cetera. I guarantee ish six months, a year, two years from now, piling, piling, piling of people are going to go back to the office. I think you're. I think one of the mental health crisis is literally just lack of human communication and mm -hmm. human interaction with people. Now we have a hybrid approach at Wedge. We also have 15 people, little different than 15,000 people. So I'm not saying it's easy or it's a fast moving ship. But what we like is we like to have people together. We like to schedule monthly, quarterly, yearly full teams together. But we also like to have. Hey, if you need to take a Friday afternoon, go work from home. You need to take a Tuesday, go work from home. Do your thing. That's great. But I do believe that there is going to be a mass sort of change of people realizing, you know what, I actually kind of like going into the office and I don't mind doing the commute because I get human connection. I don't necessarily need to do it every day. 
So I, I see a shift of that going back, whether that's 10 years, five years, two years, I don't know, but I, I, I see there to be a massive change of, of people going back into the office, mainly just because of loneliness. I think that'll, I think that'll play a role or just sick of your spouse. So <laughs> can't work with the kids around I, and exactly. i think you're absolutely right and i think from a company perspective we are starting to see because you know i work with hundreds of companies at any given time right we're starting to see those companies calling their workforce back to the office most of them you know i won't even say most of them i would say we probably have about 50 percent that are now fully back in office about 30 percent that are still hybrid maybe 40% with the remaining 10% being remote. But the, the, the remote days, they're getting fewer and far further apart. You know, we're not seeing yep. that near as much. So, well, this has been a fantastic conversation, but nobody gets out of this podcast without answering our VIP questions. <laughs> Can't wait. Fired up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? Um, I would bring a Bible. I would bring a, uh, uh, some form of recording device that plays the song Love Shack. <laughs> my favorite song on the planet. Can you and sing I us mean, a little bit? Oh, no, I'm not a karaoke <laughs> fan. Can't do karaoke, but you can, you can think about that song. Um, man, I don't know. Um, I kind of stopped drinking, but I would have said tequila because it was my favorite drink for the longest time. But um, I think there's something functional like water, but that's really boring. I'd probably bring my golden retriever if I was, oh. I would say Bible, some form of the ability to play Love Shack and my golden retriever. Those three. Aww. I like it when people take their dogs with them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's a must. Yes, I would probably take mine, but mine are so small. I feel like they could be one item. <laughs> it's a package deal. It's, it's one, a package deal. Yeah, item. for sure. That's They're awesome. sisters. So, okay. So what is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? Um, so every morning I try to get out of bed and say thanks or say a quick prayer. Just, uh, I think we all could use a little bit more gratitude in our life. Um, so I try to do that. Um, I also try to do one push up. Um, I know that's kind of a weird thing, but um, there's seasons that I forget to, and there's seasons that I'm on a good streak, but I think there's discipline that comes in that. So yeah, try to say, try to throw out a little gratitude out in the universe and try to do a push up. I love that. I, I'm extremely curious about one. Uh, I'm a very easily excitable person. And so I would, somebody who, you know, go do two workouts in one day and then don't do it for two straight weeks or like. I'll get on my Peloton and ride like a two hour bike ride. And then I won't do it for 20 days. Whereas what I'm trying to work on is more smaller snippets mm. of daily discipline. And so something like making your bed every single day, um, I try to do obviously, but you know, something like what I, I'll think about doing pushups right now, do 30, and then I won't do any for the next two weeks. Whereas if you get out and you just do one, you're building a repetitive discipline. So I try to do that. Oh, that I am so glad I asked that question. That was a really good reason. Yeah, cool. I love that. Okay, my final question for you. If your, life's, mm -hmm. if your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? Oh, man. I would love if it was, um, you know, I, I, I look at somebody like an Elon Musk and you could call him the greatest innovator entrepreneur of, you know, many, many, many generations. 
what I would love, if I could do something at a massive scale, I would love to empower the most amount of entrepreneurs. Um, it's changed my life and um, I hope one day to, I mean, I've done some angel and it's one of my favorite things to do. I've, I'd like to mentor and advise startups and I've started to do in a little bit of capacity, but I think starting a business can literally change generations and change lives and impact people. And so if you could summarize it, what it actually read is, I don't know, Matt helped me start my business. I think that would be, I think one of the greatest taglines that I could have. So. Oh, I like that. I really do. Yeah. It's kind of, it's simple, but it gets your point across very effectively. So yeah, exactly. And, and we can tell that you definitely love to help those entrepreneurs. I mean, it's especially with your give back from the, or donating from your proceeds of your book. So thank you for that passion. Somebody out there needs yeah. to have it. Well, so, thank you. It's uh, it's an honor. So. so how do people find you if they want to connect? I am loud and obnoxious on LinkedIn. You can just find me. <laughs> Matt back. Um, my, my cell phone is peppered everywhere, but it's 734-368-6946. Text call anytime. Um, you can reach me, Matt, at web.com. Website's webdetar.com as well, too. So all of that's readily available. Amazing. You were so generous with your time. I'm not sure that I would ever give out my phone number on a podcast. <laughs> it's one of those things that if, if, if people call, text, I'm available. I'll respond right back if I can. Um, I've had an amazing amount of people say yes to a phone call with me. So I try to do the same back to others. You are so sweet. You know what? I just have one last thing to say to you, Matt. You are a VIP. It's <laughs> awesome. Thank you. <laughs> and that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.